Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Thursday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEV Radio. Com. Well, Red Sox now down in the series, three games to two. Astros wallop them each of the last two days, breaking down what the heck happened with us is ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney. Buster, two days ago, I thought there was blood in the water and I was printing World Series tickets. How did we get here? Yeah, it's a shock. Uh, I agree with you. I thought for sure after what happened in game three that, uh, that the Astros are going to lose this series and that the Red Sox would roll on the momentum because the Astros' rotation was in such tatters. Uh, you know, the fact that uh, when Zach Ranke walked off the mound in game four, the use of rotation had contributed, what, six and two-thirds innings or yeah. six and a third inning, and had allowed 16 runs. And you just wondered how in the world Houston would recover from that. And let's face it, it might be if the Red Sox get eliminated here in game six or game seven, we're going to look back at those rallies, would-be rallies the Red Sox had in in uh, game four when they couldn't add to their lead as being pivotal in this series. Uh, and then last night, I mean, Frambert Valdez was incredible. Like, his velocity was up. He had tons of movement. He's getting tons of ground ball, good ground balls. I put uh, game five uh, in the hands of the Astros and give them credit for winning. Uh, I thought game four was a, a missed opportunity for the Red Sox to put their foot on the throats of the Astros. There really was, though, um, some questions surrounding Alex Cora and the way he handled things yesterday in that sixth inning. And he's been universally praised for how he's done yep. things in Boston this year. But the criticism to me yesterday was fair. There's multiple parts to it. So let's start with part number one. What did you think in general of Chris Sale starting the inning? Uh, I thought that was fine because uh, his stuff was great, and I thought, you know, given some of the alternatives, uh, that it uh, would be fine. I was really surprised, and, and I was not at the ballpark, so I don't, I, I don't know this independently. That uh, based on the what I was hearing off the broadcast, that nobody was warming up in the bullpen at the start of the inning. That was a surprise to me. The decision to pitch to Alvarez, I was okay with Sale starting the inning. Also, I also think he looked good. Um, Alvarez was two for two. He had homered off of sale. He had looked great off of sale already in that game. What did you make of the decision to not walk him with a base open? I thought it was a mistake, and I say that as a first guess, not a second guess. As I was watching the game, I thought there was no chance that Alex would let uh, sale pitch to Alvarez because, you know, through the years, having heard a lot of managers you know, talk about wanting to give hitters a different look, it was clear that Alvarez's approach uh, – against Sale or any other power lefty for a left-handed hitter was excellent. You know, taking the ball the other way, hitting a home run uh, over the Green Monster in his first plate appearance, doubling in his next one into left field corner, uh, or I don't know, it was a single off the wall, excuse me. Um, and so given the fact that he was having good swings, he, has an, he had an excellent approach, I didn't think there was any chance that Alex would let him, uh, you know, have another look at Sale. I, I thought he at least – whether it was a right-hander, a left-hander, just something different than what he'd seen. And it was a surprise to me that uh, he got that uh, opportunity in that last plate appearance. You know, it was interesting. I don't have the quote exactly in front of me, but, you know, Alex Corris said that he didn't mind starting sale in that inning, be something to the effect of, you know, that doesn't bother me to let a guy go through the, the order for a third time. Doesn't that fly in the face of everything the Red Sox have done all year? Like Tanner Houck is prohibited from going through the order through the third time. So it seems like there's an inconsistency there in either the story or the philosophy. 
Well, and I, I think we, that's one of those uh, answers, too. When I saw that and, and, and heard it, my thought was if you were to have a beer with Alex Gordon two months, you might answer the question differently. Yeah. But, you know, in that moment, as he's, uh, you know, they lose a disappointing game five, and he realizes that, uh, you know, that uh, now they have a huge mountain to climb to come back and win this series, that he may have been a little bit more defensive than he would be two months from now when he might say, because Alex has seen a lot of baseball. He's a great baseball guy. I, you know, what you said was right. He's done a great job managing, but I think he probably, uh, in, a, in a couple months, would be more, more readily uh, acknowledge that uh, the handling of that inning was not good. Buster Olney of ESPN with us here, MLB Insider, on the Brady Farkas Show every Thursday right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. You know, in a postseason where starters – barely go four innings. How did Framber Valdez go eight yesterday and completely mystify the Sox? Because his stuff was just that good. Um, you know, and you heard that from uh, from Dusty Baker. You heard it from Alex Corey. You heard it from everybody. Uh, he, he had superlative stuff. And you know what? Give Dusty Baker credit for letting his eyes dictate what decision he was going to make. It wasn't like he was working from a script where he wanted to get, uh, you know, uh, Valdez you know, into the fifth inning and then go to his relievers. He watched his stuff. He watched the swings the Red Sox were getting. The fact that they were continually beating that two-seam fastball into the ground because they had nothing to swing at given the movement that was on the pitch. And he just wrote it out. Eight innings. And how refreshing was yeah. that? <laughs> you know, even though we were on the wrong side of it, it was refreshing to see it. You've been railing about all the pitching changes um, on social media this week. I think you're probably more referring to what the Dodgers are doing and their scripted nature of openers, et cetera, but we certainly have seen a lot of pitching changes in the Red Sox-Astros series. What is your issue with the way pitching is being handled in this playoffs? Well, first off, I just think it diminishes the product. And I think about, you know, from a – it's it's uh, certainly extended the games that we're seeing. You know, I I don't know what the time of last night's game was, but the first four games of the series over four hours. Uh, I don't think you can sell to casual baseball fans the idea of watching a, a parade of relievers that they've never heard of and will never hear of again. Uh, and and I think the, the and I know this because I talk to baseball executives in front offices every day. They hate it as well. And it's why I think there are going to be major changes coming. I think they're going to happen as soon as 2022, where you're going to see the number of pitchers on each roster limited and gradually, you know, baseball implement uh, pitching limits or pitcher limits on rosters. And I think there's a good chance they're going to tie it to the designated hitter, where the starting pitcher is the designated hitter, where they're going to tell at the beginning of a game to a manager, look, the moment you take your starting pitcher out, then you will also lose the DH. That will incentivize uh, managers to rely more on their starting pitchers. Uh, with fewer pitchers available, that will also incentivize uh, managers to use the starting pitchers. And here's why I think this is going to happen, because the union wants it to happen as well. Uh, they know that starting pitchers are the money makers in their union. They've seen their roles diminished in recent years, and they want to reestablish the preeminence of starters. So if you love bullpen games, uh, you know, then I, I'd say this, um, you know, we might be in the last days under the current rules where that sort of, uh, you know, culture uh, exists. Buster, I don't like bullpen games either. I also like starting pitching, but I can at least ask this question as a devil's advocate. Isn't the goal of a staff to get through a lineup for 27 outs and however you get those outs 
is okay. I mean, look, I can sit here and say stylistically, I like to watch football teams throw it all over the yard. If the best way to win a game is running it 42 times, then that's the best way to win a game. So, again, I don't love it, but I can understand it. That's a great comparison, um, and, and there's no doubt that uh, you could justify the decisions that these teams have been making with the bullpen games 100%. The numbers make it make sense. But there are more people, as television ratings have gone down, within the sport are concerned about the product from 30,000 feet. And they find the product to be increasingly unwatchable. And, and again, who cares what a nerd like me thinks, okay? I'm just a you know, dopey baseball writer. Every day... I you know talk to people in front offices and say hey what what you think about last night's game and they're like wow you know the Rays are a really good team and you know credit to their front office for developing this all these pitchers and the strategy they have and then I say okay you know take off your off the record take off your GM hat how do you like it and they go I hate it hmm. they can't stand how it drags out the games and slows down the pace of play. Buster, I have never been a the ump or the ref blow the game guy. I always think that a missed call is just one piece to a much larger puzzle. So I'm not crushing Laz Diaz for the potential missed call on Evaldi in game four in the ninth inning. I think the Red Sox were 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position. I think that contributed to their loss more than one singular call. That said... Um, Laz Diaz did not have a great day in totality in Game 4. Do you think we're at the point now where you know the robot ump conversation is coming back again? It's right on the horizon. And I can't tell you if that means there's going to be an electronic strike zone in 2022 or 2023 or 2004. None of those uh, time frames would surprise me. Uh, I think they're that close. You know, three, four years ago, I remember talking to someone in Major League Baseball about, hey, how close are you to doing this? And the answer I got back was, well, you know, we think the technology has a, a ways to go. We've got some tweaks to do. And my response to that was, well, that doesn't make any sense because you're grading the umpires based on the electronic strike zone data. Hmm. <laughs> and I think that whatever changes they made, whatever tweaks they've made, they're now comfortable with it. And uh, look, uh, you think about tennis and the sport that there, uh, and how often we see the electronics used to determine whether a ball is in or out. Can you imagine if you know someone in tennis were to say, "Well, you know what? Uh, you know we're not we're going to take the electronics out. We know we're going to get fewer calls right. We know there are going to be more mistakes made, but that's the human element. That's really where Major League Baseball now is in the decision-making process on the electronic strike zone." Their choice is between having a more accurate system or a less accurate system. And as we saw the other night with Laz Diaz, who's a great guy, I've always enjoyed my conversation with him. He's passionate about his job. He made a lot of mistakes that would not be made with an electronic system in place. Buster, only ESPN with us. Buster, I got two questions for you. This one came from WEEI in Boston this morning, and I don't know if this is sourced. I don't know if this is opinion, but I'm going to bring it to you anyways. It came from the Greg Hill Show. They said they were thinking or hearing that Chaim Bloom is micromanaging Alex Cora and frustrating Cora, and Cora is pushing back. I have not heard that. Have you heard anything like that? No, I have not heard that, and I uh, two things about that. First off, if you remember, uh, when the Red Sox got into the postseason, Alex Cora toasted Bloom in front of the players and talked about what a great job he did 
I think he, uh, you know, had everybody sign the lineup card from that day and gave it to Heim. Uh, he has respected him. And here's the other thing, too, the reality of this situation. I don't think there's a more powerful manager in baseball than Alex Cora right now hmm. in terms of what he could do uh, in terms of a lineup. Now, are there potentially clashes going on or disagreements about lineup cards and pitching choices? That would not surprise me in the least uh, because of what we've seen. I mean, shoot, Mike Schilt just got fired as manager of the Cardinals after the Cardinals make the playoffs because the front office wanted more control. I think because of Alex Cora's history, because of his relationship with Heim Bloom's bosses, that if he wanted to, he could push. Uh, you know, he would win a, a, a you know, a battle of, uh, you know, a power if that something came up. But I have no indication that's actually in play. Buster, forty-six years ago today, not what nineteen seventy-five, Game Six, Carlton Fisk, the Stay Fair home run game. How forty-six years? Yeah, pretty amazing. I was 11 years old when that game was played. My folks did not have a television. I walked up to my neighbors a mile and a half away to watch that game on television. Uh, I was wide awake through that incredible game that went as it went back and forth in the extra innings. Pete Rose, uh, you know, turned to Carlton Fisk and said to him, "Boy, isn't this fun?" Because <laughs> <laughs> there were just so many twists and turns. Uh, never forget Fisk getting the home run and how excited I was, and then being petrified because I had to walk back a mile and a half. Through through uh, Maplewood <laughs> to uh, back to my house with the leaves blowing, I just kept on thinking of uh, you know the legend of Sleepy Hollow the whole <laughs> walk back. Oh man, well those those great Randolph Center stories that we love so much. So Buster, we appreciate <laughs> the time as always. Uh, hopefully next week when we talk, we're talking about the Red Sox in the World Series. But right now, it's a massive fingers crossed to that. So uh, we will talk to you again next week. Okay, Brady, thank you.